What exactly is a sexologist? Well, I know it's a funny thing. Sometimes when I tell people my job's a sexologist, they go, what? What kind of job is that? What does that mean? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a new episode of Mr. A+. My guest today is a sexologist, counsellor and a teacher. She has worked overseas and here in Australia, of course, and she also has her own business, counselling and training people in all areas of sexuality and relationships. I first met her on the television series Love on the Spectrum, and I'm very pleased to be chatting with her again today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jodie Rogers. Hello, Jody. Hi, Mom. Nice to speak with you once again. Lovely to speak with you too. Thanks. How are things? Very, very good. Things are great with me. How about you? How are things with you? Things are going all right, I suppose. Same general story. What's the same general story? You know, still working and I'm still pursuing acting and still chasing my dream. Yeah. Well, do you know there's two good parts of that story? Pursuing and chasing. Because that means you're still doing it. If yep. somebody says, I've given up, I'm not doing it, that's the bad bit. But you've just used two really good words, which means that you yeah. keep trying and you're looking for it and you're seeking it. That's the good part. Yeah, that's correct. So what's been going on with you as of late? Uh, well, I've been really busy, but I live up in northern New South Wales. So we've just been through all that really terrible weather where yeah. lots of people got really impacted. So that's been pretty difficult. <sighs> But with all the bad stuff is all the good stuff. So even though lots and lots of people, you know, lost their houses and businesses, one of the beautiful things was how much people helped each other, Mike. It was unbelievable. That's good. Yeah. Just shows you how great people are. Sometimes we carry on and think, you know, people aren't that great. But what you do see is when one person's hurting or in trouble, how wonderful people can be and how much we help each other. So that's been really lovely to see. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, that made me very happy. Made me feel like the world's actually a really good place. Yes, I would agree with that. Although I do at times beg to differ. (laughs) Well, we all have times like that, don't we? We all have times where we sort of go, think things are great, and then times when we think it's not great. But I think more generally, if you always go for the good side, if you think positive, then positive things happen. Yes, that's... Sounds about right. You were an expert on Love on the Spectrum, right? Yep. I don't, I don't really like the word expert, Mike. Why is that? Well, because I think if you say you're an expert, it means that you know all the things. You know, that you know everything. I like to call myself a specialist, you know. It's something that I, I specialise ah, yes. in that area. Well, you were the person who gave me and the other participants dating advice and tips. Um, how were you approached to participate in the show i just had a friend who knew people from the abc and they were telling him that they were making this show who could love on the spectrum and my friend said oh do you know somebody called jody rogers and they contacted northern pictures and contacted kian and i was just in sydney at the time i was presenting at a sexologist conference and so northern pictures people just said do you want to pop in and have a chat and i thought mike i was going to see them to help them find some more people who wanted to be on the show, you know, more autistic people to be on the show. But when I got there and started talking with them about what I do for my work and what my work's all about, then they said, 
hey, would you like to be on the show? And we know this guy that we you should meet. His name's Michael. So that's how it happened. So I said, sure, ah. I'd love to meet somebody called Michael. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So that was the very first thing, wasn't it? You and I meeting each other. Yeah. I remember that. It wasn't It wasn't like I applied to be on the show, Mike. I didn't apply and say, oh, I really want to be on television. I didn't want to be on television at all. Mine was just more about Northern Pictures saying, actually, it would be pretty handy to have somebody like you to be able to talk with some of the people on the show. Hmm. Interesting. How about you? How did you end up on there? I was first told about it by um, my employment agency, AppWork Australia. Yeah. I called them back several times because I was so eager to participate. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you did, and I'm really glad I did, because that's how you and I got to meet each other. Yeah. If it wasn't for that show, we never would have met. No, we never would, so I'm going to be thankful for that or for the rest of my life. So will I. In fact, do you keep in touch with anybody, anyone from the show? <laughs> Well, you, my friend, I do. Obviously. Yep. You and I have been friends now since the show, haven't we? So That's three years. What? Is it already three years? Yes. So can you remember when I first met you, Was we were on camera, weren't we? The very first time I ever saw your face was when I knocked on your door and you opened the door and that's the first time we've seen each other. And we've been yeah. in contact with each other ever since then. We keep in touch by Skype at least once a month. Yep, at least once a month we have a really good chat, catch up about the world. Yeah. I'll catch up with, um, you know, Kelvin from the first series. I speak to him. You know, there's some people I keep in contact with really regularly, like you and I, and there's some people that I just have sort of text messaging, contact with or through social media, but every single person I try, you know, to have contact with. It's re- It was really important to me, Mike, to have contact with people from the show because I didn't want to be filmed in a television show just hanging out with people and then not having a relationship with them because relationships are really important to me mm. so, and also I didn't want the show just to be something that was all about meeting somebody once and getting filmed and then going okay see you later have a great life I just wanted to make sure that I had ongoing contact with everybody but yeah, you yeah. and I particularly, we catch up every single month. Yep, that we do. How is Kelvin, may I ask? He's good. He's really, really well. He's doing some really great, you know how amazing he is with his drawing and his writing. So yep. he and I have slowly been working on a, kind of a graphic novel together. But he's really good and I'm not so good. So he's doing all the drawing and I'm doing some writing. But at the same time, he's been writing his own... What would you... I think it's called manga. You know, it's that manga-style graphic novel. So he's been working on that. But he's an incredible Mm. artist. Wow. Yeah, he's great. He's doing really well. Glad to hear that he's doing well. Why do you think it's so important to talk about sex and relationships? Well, I'm a sexologist. So do you know what a sexologist is? What exactly is a sexologist? Well... I oh, know, it's a funny thing. Sometimes when I tell people my job's a sexologist, they go, what? What kind of job is that? What does that mean? But a sexologist is somebody that has studied human sexuality. So that means that I went to university, actually got a master's degree, all about human sexuality. But the reason that I think that's important, and relationships are part of that, Mike. So when people talk about sexuality, they, they forget that sexuality is just about 
our identity and our gender and relationships and sensuality, like how we use our senses. Um, you know, it's not just about sexy business. It's lots of different things. But I suppose for me what happened, Mike, the reason why becoming a sexologist was really important is that I've always worked with people with disabilities my whole life. And one of the things that I kept on finding all the time is that um, when people left school, often they were being supported to get employment and to you know build independent skills. But what we forgot is that we were not really supporting people about relationships and as you and I know about dating and things like yeah. that and about sexuality kind of learning about sex and intimacy so for me it became really important that everybody got to learn about dating and romance and relationships and not to mention the fact that in high school they don't teach you about um about life skills in general they just prepare you for university that's that's the only purpose of high school sometimes education we only think about that kind of thing what you're talking about going to university or even just if you're not doing a university stream like learning to get a job but what we forget is that particularly high school Mike in high school it's all about relationships and friendships and that that become that's really important and it's important for all of us so we need to be learning about that our whole lives so, yeah, I yep. agree with you. But then again, at the same time, you can't always count on friendship. People change, especially after you finish school. Yeah, but do you know what? I also think that's really important for people to learn about too. I think that we don't talk enough about what a good relationship looks like and what healthy relationships look like and friendships, but we also don't talk a lot about how we cope with change in relationships or rejection in relationships you know, that, that's part of relationships. We can have relationships with people that last a whole lifetime, but we can also have relationships with people that just last for a little bit and then it moves on to something different. Yeah. We, we don't talk about that either. I don't know if you will agree with me on this, but I should probably tell you. Yeah. I've noticed something about high school students. What's that? Whenever they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, mm. they become obsessed with them. <laughs> What, how do you it's, mean? How do you mean obsessed? In what way? How do you see that? It's the it's like the only thing they can think about and talk about. Yeah. And it's, then it becomes like they have no time for their friends any longer. Yeah. But what these people are unaware of is, it's only a matter of time before the relationship fa- fails and then their happiness dies along with it. Do you know what's really interesting? You saying that is that relationships actually go through these stages, even adult relationships. So do you know when you first meet somebody? And you get all these feelings of going, oh, this is going to be the best thing ever. In actual fact, we have all these chemicals go off in our bodies that make us go, oh, my God, I really like this person. And, you know, you kind of almost go, oh, I hope they text me or I hope I get to speak to them today or I hope I get to see them. And we're really, really excited. And then what happens is that relationships actually settle down and some people are just living for the really high part. And particularly teenagers, what you were saying, all they think about is going, I've just met this new person and it's all so exciting and I'm all up here and all excitable and only thinking about them. Yeah. But then once it gets settles down and it just becomes like a day-to-day thing, which is where the kind of deep affection comes in, that's when people go, oh, this is boring, I'm going to leave. Which proves another point. When those relationships end, they end up 
in depression until finally they have no choice but to accept that's reality and move on. <laughs> well, do you know one of the things about being a teenager? Lots of people talk about teenagers as that's like when you have a lot of trial and error. So trial and error is when we kind of practice relationships. So we have to practice what it's like to meet somebody get to know somebody, go out and dates with people. And we also have to learn what it's like to be rejected and feel the sadness and then do what you're talking about, move on and kind of keep going with life. But heaps of people I know, Mike, heaps and heaps of people I know in my work never, ever got the chance to do that kind of trial and error when they are at high school. I never did either. Didn't you? Nope. Did you ever have any girlfriends at high school? No. I only had... Friends that are girls, but not a girlfriend. Yeah. You know, some people don't get to practice that until after school. But lots of people practice that in high school and learn how to do, you know, learn what it's like to start a relationship and end a relationship. Yeah. But you're right, there's lots of people that I work with that never got that practice when they're in high school in their early 20s. So now they're still learning and still practicing that in their adulthood. Well, the thing is, I've been dangling my hook in the water for a very long time. Keep dangling it, though, mate. Yep. If you don't keep dangling that hook, then you're never going to catch anything. Because otherwise yeah. you just go, right, that's it. You know, if you're using that fishing analogy and say, well, you're just going to hang your, your rod up, then you basically say, okay, well, I'm not interested in having a relationship. And that's cool. Some people don't want relationships in that way. Yeah. But if that's what you desire and want, then you've got to keep trying. Yeah, of course. What is your perception on love and marriage? My perception on love is that I think that we don't look at enough about all different kinds of love. And I think sometimes that we really, really focus on just one type of love, which is this romantic love. But I also really believe that you've got to love yourself first. You've got to go, I actually, I'm a really cool person. And then we have to stop focusing on the fact that we say, if you don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then that doesn't mean you haven't lived a fulfilled life because there's many people that are surrounded by love but they're loved by family and friends and that's enough for them. So that's my perception on love. I think that, and I, But I think love's really beautiful and I think all of us want to love people and we want to be loved by people and I think that that's a desire for, for all of us. Marriage... I think that everybody just has the right to choose whether they want to get married or not. And every person should have that right. But also, you should have the right to say, nah, I don't want to get married. But I love a wedding. Do you like weddings? Not really. You don't like going to the big party? No, they just don't excite me. Oh, see, that's where you and I are completely different. I love weddings because I love having a celebration of two people going, woo we love each other. Personally, I'd rather just elope. Where would you elope to if you had a fantasy elopement? Where would be like a good elopement place? Honestly, have no idea. I haven't thought about it that far. But would you elope because you wouldn't want to have a big party with lots of people at it? Because I just don't want the fuss. I don't want it to be made into a public spectacle. What about if your partner wanted to wear a big flowing gown and have a hundred people there? Would you do it for her? Only for her. But I wouldn't be able to give in to everything she she asked for. <laughs> what things are non-negotiable? What things would you say, no way, I'm not having that at my wedding? I, I haven't thought about it. You don't have to think about it, Mike. Don't worry. If you, There's different types of people in the world. You might meet a girl that's already got it organised. 
the other thing is, even though I'm happy for for others when they get married, weddings and engagements just don't excite me. We're all different, aren't we? And plus, I hate parties. Do you? Yeah. What is it about parties that you don't like? The noises. Yeah. And they're constant. Yeah. You might just, if you get married, Mike, you might just have to have like a really quiet, intimate, just a few people wedding. Or do what you're saying, elope and do a runner with just you and your partner. Yeah. But what do you think about marriage? Like, you know, when you ask me what what's my perception of love and marriage, what's your perception? It's basically the spiritual and emotional bond between two souls agreeing to spend their lives together. So do you think that you can spend your life with somebody without having an actual wedding, like a, a wedding ceremony? I suppose I could. Yeah. So everybody's different, aren't they? Like, that's the thing, that relationships are different. And some people spend their whole lives together without ever having a wedding ceremony, but they're very committed yeah. to one another. So I think it's really up to the individual. I'm just glad that we've given the rights to people, that all people, all people should have the right mm. to marry if they want to. Yeah, of course. Mm. Even though weddings and engagements don't excite me, I am happy for others. Yeah. Even though it can be a bit hard for me at times. Yeah. What, what part's hard for you? Because I've been on a quest for, for love for a very long time. Yeah. So you're saying that when other people um, find partners or get married that you're kind of a little bit envious of it? Somewhat. It's just another. It's just like an, another way of, of it being rubbed in my face. Yeah, that's, a, that's understandable though because it, it's like saying, you know, this is something that you really want for your life and even though you yeah. can celebrate that for other people... It also reminds you that you still don't have your desire fulfilled. That's yeah. really honest and open of you to say that, Mike, because, you know, lots of people wouldn't be that honest and open about it. When people demand me to be to be happy for others, that doesn't help. You, nobody can demand you to have an emotion that isn't true. Well, nobody except, except a mother. <laughs> yeah, mums can be a little bit like that. Maybe it's mum, mum's just sort of wanting you to celebrate other people, but she'd also understand. I know your mum, so your mum would definitely understand. It's just about want, Mike. That's all it is. All you're explaining there is saying, I'm happy for other people, but it's, you feel a little bit sad for yourself because it's something that you want so much. It's not a matter of feeling sorry for yourself. It's just a matter of acknowledging what's hard for you to accept. So I know, do you know what, Mike? That's a really insightful thing to say because, do you know, I think that through life there's lots of things that we might desire as an individual. The same as you're talking about relationships and marriage, it must be hard for people that really wanted to have a baby and they can't have a baby but then all their friends are having babies so that might make them a little bit sad or if someone yeah, gets a really good job... <clears throat> And you're really happy for them, but you would have really liked that job. Like all of those, that's a really normal, one, you know, it's a really great thing to say because I think every single person on the world in the world can relate to that. Yeah. Mm. What fueled your interest in sexology and relationships? Relationships for me is the most important part of life. I think our happiness and well-being is really based in relationships and they're very, very important to me. And I really like people, Mike. So for me, even my relationship with you and our friendship is really important to me. The sexuality part was much more about that I felt that lots of people with disability were missing out on really good sexuality education. 
and understanding that and that that was leaving some people vulnerable. Mm. And so that's really what sparked it. And I'm really Mm. passionate about it, Mike. I really, really am passionate that we make sure that every single person has access to really good relationship education and sexuality education. So that's, that's really impressive. Oh, thanks, mate. That's a nice thing to say. All good. <laughs> it's good to have a passion in life, don't you think? Yes, it is. If you're passionate about something, pursue it. Don't settle for a soul-crushing job. No, well, you're following your passions, aren't you? You're following where you would like to be in life, so... Yep. Yep, you just got to keep going. When you're passionate about something, it means not giving up, and you keep trying and trying and trying for it. What are some of the challenges that neurodivergent people Hmm. face with trying to find love? I don't know. Maybe you could answer that better for me than I can answer people. You know, when they use that word neurodivergent, they're just saying it's just people who see the world differently or communicate differently than the majority of the planet. So I think a lot of what is the point that might be a challenge for people is that there's an expectation that we all do things in the same way. And sometimes if you communicate a bit differently or interact a bit differently or have kind of hyper-focused interests that neurotypical people expect everybody to do it their way. So I think that that's sometimes a bit more of the challenge is for people in the fact that, you know, autistic people are sometimes expected to act, when I'm saying act, you know, act kind of in a neurotypical way rather than just being themselves so that's probably the biggest barrier that, that a lot of people need to learn more about autism. That's a very unrealistic expectation. Yeah, what do you say that, Mike? Because you can't be anything else but yourself. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. You know, some autistic people, the barriers for them finding love is that there's an expectation about how people interact. And when autistic people may do things a little bit differently then it means that they might not know how to... You know, one thing is that they might have social anxiety, so even meeting people can be difficult. Like, you're really brilliant because you can get... Your your personality is quite extroverted, so you can get out and go to speed dates and are happy to meet new people, but there's a lot of autistic people who would be find it really difficult to meet new people or join in on a group. There's lots of mm. people that might have difficulty just going, oh, my God, you know, they're so, so nervous and so anxious about meeting people that they don't know how to go on a, on a date or meet people. Um, and once they're on the date, they might even have, like, a severe anxiety attack about not knowing how to communicate or keep a conversation going or and it just might become too overwhelming for them. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. Are there many relationships between neurodivergent and neurotypical people? Heaps. Heaps and heaps and heaps. Hmm. This is about diversity, isn't it? Like, that's that's kind of, for me, that's like saying, almost the same as saying, hey, Jodie, is there relationships between people who are one religion and a different religion or one race and a different race? Of course there are. So, of course, there's relationships between neurotypical neurodivergent people when two people are really different and they come from a different way of perceiving the world or a different culture or different religions whatever our differences are the most important thing is that we have to be able to communicate those differences with each other so that we have a better understanding but yeah 100 percent mike there's heaps of relationships between neurodivergent neurotypical people yes 
Although I haven't really encountered many of those. Yeah. But remember, I hang out with autistic people every single day and have for 30 years, so I get to see lots and, you know, I know hundreds and hundreds of people. So I get to see all the differences. We have recently had Mardi Gras here in Australia. Yeah. Happy Mardi Gras. (laughs) Happy Mardi Gras Um, to you. Thanks. Did you celebrate? Yes, I did. How did you? Celebrate. Well, I'm not in Sydney, so I didn't get to go to the parade or do any of the big parties like that. Mm. But um, I've got family members and lots and lots of friends who are part of the queer community. And so a lot of my celebration was just making sure that those people knew that, you know, how much I love them and whatever. It's like just celebrating for somebody else. It's such a big celebration for the queer community that it's just letting them all know how much loved, how loved they are and how great... It is that they have yeah. that celebration. And why is Mardi Gras important? What we're celebrating is we're celebrating acceptance and we're celebrating inclusion and we're celebrating that anybody can be whoever they want to be as long as they're not causing harm to another person. Yes, of course. Mm. Love often comes when you least expect it. Why do you think that is? sometimes it's when love comes when you least expect it because it's when you are so happy within yourself and so if you're really happy within yourself and you're having a really good time then what that does is it attracts other people to you because when you're um, confident and when you feel really good and that you're able to speak with happiness and joy and you're excited by the world when you when you do that when you're confident then what happens is it attracts other people to you. So you're not expecting yeah. it because you're just going, yeah, I'm having a great life. And then when you're living like that, all of a sudden this magical person turns up in front of you that you least expect. If we chase too hard and we get down about it, then we don't attract people. So that's what I think that saying means. I think the saying means if you're having a good life and you're already happy, then that will attract people to you. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Well, let's hope it happens, Mike. Let's hope when you least expect it, the magical person rocks up into your world. Let's hope so too. I believe we're now on to our Ask Mr. A Plus segment. The Ask Mr. A Plus segment is basically a segment towards the end of the podcast where the guest gets the opportunity to ask me questions, anything that's on their mind. So, do you happen to have any questions for me to answer? Of course, Mike. I've always got questions for you. That's the good part about our friendship. Can I ask ask you two questions? Sure. Okay, so the first one is because my stuff that I'm into is relationships and sexuality. So I wanted to ask you a question from from something I'm interested in. So what do you think intimacy is? Isn't intimacy to do with um, close relations? Yeah, and what, what do you mean close relations? I'm not really the best person to describe that stuff. It's a hard one, isn't it? Because lots of people think about intimacy about being sexy stuff. Yeah. But when I think about you, I think about intimacy as actually being, and this is what intimacy really is, Mike. Intimacy is when you can be vulnerable with another person and just 100% be yourself. And so for you, I always just hope that you have intimate relationships with people where you 100% feel comfortable to be yourself. Yeah. So, th- so intimacy is what I'm interested in, but because you and I hang out all the other, all the time together, then I know a lot about you. So my second question was this. 
Yeah. You know how you know how you've got your massive Yowie collection. Yes. And you know how you and I talk about the Yowies, and a lot of the time you show me the the animals that are the most endangered. Yes. I was just wondering if you could tell me what is one of the most endangered species in the world at the moment that we should all be worried about. Oh, there's a rare and critically endangered species. Um, it's a type of fish. A fish? Yep, it's called the spotted handfish. A spotted handfish? Yeah. Where in the world does a spotted handfish live? They're found off the coast of Australia. Oh. Tasmania, actually. Oh, there you go. Tassie fish. They've seen to be walking with their hand-like fins across the ocean bottom. Oh, my God, that's crazy, a walking fish. Yep. What do you think we could do to... I mean, this, I'm not asking you to kind of know as a scientist or anything, but what do you think we could do as humans to to protect ocean animals? Stop illegal fishing yeah. and overfishing as well. Yeah. I'd hate to think that there wasn't a spotted handfish in the world. And also not to mention keeping pollution out of the waterways. Yeah. And some other endangered species would be the Bactrian camel. That's a critically endangered species in the wild due to habitat loss. A camel? Bactrian camel. Oh. They have two humps. Oh, a two-humped camel. They're found in the grasslands and steppes of Central Asia. Then there's also rhinoceros species as well. Isn't it amazing, Mike? You, you can have animals that are as small as a, a fish, a spotted handfish, and as big as a two-humped camel and a rhinoceros and everything in between. Lots of endangered species. Yeah, but that's because of all these barbaric activities like um, hunting for sport, poaching, smuggling, illegal logging, illegal fishing, overfishing, etc. It's one of the things I love about you when you and I chat, though, when you... You talk about the things that you love, like yep. in animals and endangered species, how passionate you get about it. And that's yeah. that's you, Mike. That's the, that's the side of you that I wish everybody could see and know, as well as about how many great passions you have. Yeah, I just feel so bad for these poor animals, having their peaceful lives disturbed by humans. <laughs> We're shocking, aren't we? Mm. We're all so wonderful, Mike. Humans are wonderful. Well, Jody, um, thank you for joining me on today's episode. It was a pleasure having you on board. I really appreciate your time, so thank you for it. Always happy to speak with you, Mike. Likewise, always a pleasure. <laughs>